Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Gospel and the Old Testament reading, as you heard a few moments ago. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, how far are you willing to go for the sake of others? Think about that. How far are you willing to go for the sake of others? And maybe even people you don't know. As I mentioned, we had the Lutheran Church Canada National Youth Gathering this past week. Our last day of the National Youth Gathering was this past Tuesday. And there was a a large group leaving in the morning. And the bus that was supposed to take them didn't show up. So what did we do? We rounded up as many people as possible that had vehicles that could drive to get this group to the airport. Most people, myself included, were still sleeping or maybe hitting our snooze buttons. So we woke to phones ringing or knocks on the door, really more banging on the door, trying to wake people up so that they could get up and drive and get these people to make their flight on time. People rallied to take care of these people. Some people that we knew that had we had gotten to know throughout the week and maybe some we didn't get to know as well during the week. Even though many of us were half asleep, still sleeping, wanting to hit our snooze button just a little bit longer. We did it. We got up. Not because we wanted people to point us and say, wow, how great they are for stepping up to the plate. We did it for the sake of others, so that they didn't miss their flight. I'd imagine most of you would do this as well. But we sacrifice, not to uplift ourselves. Maybe because we do it because others would do it for us. But certainly we sacrifice because of the sacrifice that God has made on our behalf. As God's word says, we love because he first loved us. In the gospel reading of Luke from today, after Jesus gives his disciples the Lord's prayer, he tells them, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. That youth group was pretty thankful when everyone who drove them opened their doors when they were knocked on. But this reading isn't about us opening the door, giving to those who ask. This reading is about what God does. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear Jesus say these words, it makes me think that You know, whatever I ask, no matter how selfish it might be, it will be answered. And of course, when I say answered, I mean that God is is actually going to give me what I have selfishly asked for. So if I pray for a million dollars, God said to ask, and I'm going to receive. Any of you ever felt this way, or is it just me? And maybe the million dollars isn't the best example, but what about something like, God, please 
heal me of my cancer. Not as selfish as a million dollars, but still a request for something specific, a specific healing, a, a miracle for the person who's praying it. And then I'm reminded of Jesus' words in John chapter 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. When I hear these words, I think, well, all I need to do is stay connected to Jesus as he is the vine and I'm on the branches. And when we're connected, I can ask for anything and it will be done. And so then we go back to those other prayers, the, the million-dollar prayers, the healing prayers. And if we're truly connected to Jesus, then our prayers will all have a part of them that Jesus gives to us in the Lord's Prayer that we pray. And those are the words, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray according to God's will, when we are connected to God, then our prayers will always be heard, be received, and be answered, no matter what the prayer is. Because prayer, according to God's will, is a prayer of faith. And we'll, God will always give us the answer that God wants to give us. And thus, it's not a prayer that's just prayed in faith, but it's a prayer that is received in faith. Now, it all sounds so simple, right? You just pray according to God's will. But that doesn't mean that we are like that when we're actually praying and when we're actually receiving those answers from God. That's because we are sinners. And it is easy for us to not pray according to God's will. It is easy for us to pray selfishly for the things that we want rather than the things that we need. To pray not expecting God to give us a different answer than what we're asking for. And so when God doesn't give us what we want, or doesn't answer our prayers as it seems, or in a timely manner that we'd like, because we're not only selfish, we're also you know, a little bit of lacking in patience. When those things happen, it can be easy for us to be mad at God, or to think that he doesn't hear us or to think that he doesn't care about us. And as a result, we begin to doubt whether or not God actually is who he says he is. One person who was able to see a, a different side of God is Abraham, which we heard in the Old Testament reading of Genesis today. He had the unique opportunity to actually speak with God and have him answer him immediately. Now, this is after God had said to Abraham that he was going to check in on Sodom and Gomorrah to see how grave their sin is and whether or not there is judgment coming to them. Abraham guesses that God intends to destroy the city, and so he pleads or intercedes on behalf of Sodom. He says, Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Now, we don't actually know how many people were associated with the city of Sodom and the surrounding cities that are kind of included in it. So we don't know what kind of percentage we're talking about. But I'd imagine 50 righteous people is probably a pretty small number that Abraham starts with. 
In this request, Abraham also acknowledges that God is the judge over all the earth and that he alone is just. God responds with, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Here is your prayer being asked and your prayer being answered. But it doesn't end there because Abraham keeps going. What he does in the next plea is he also acknowledges that he is God's creation, that he is mortal. He is dust and he is going to return to the dust as well. We can even see it ashes to ashes, dust to dust here. God is the creator, the ruler of the universe, and he is completely just and fair. And Abraham says, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And God said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Abraham lowers his number, and God says, sure, I won't destroy it if 45 righteous people are found. What does Abraham do then? He again pushes the number even lower. How about 40? God says, okay. What does Abraham do then? He says, God, don't be angry with me. But how about 30? God says, okay. What does Abraham do then? He says, God, if I could be so bold to ask, how about 20? God says, okay. What does Abraham do then? He says, God, I'm just going to ask one more time. How about 10? God says, okay. I will not destroy the city if 10 righteous people are found in it. I mean, this is how far Abraham was willing to go to try and save the city. And there were probably plenty of people in that city that he didn't know, but he cared enough to try and save them all. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was there having a, a conversation with Abraham and he keeps lowering the number, I mean, maybe at some point I'm going to get a little annoyed that he keeps lowering the number. It's like if you have kids, and you, or maybe grandkids for some of you, and you tell them that, you know, they can have some candy. And they say, well, how many pieces? And you say, well, how about one? And they say, two? And you say, sure. And they say, three? And you say, well, sure. And they keep going up and up. And they're testing the waters. And maybe at some point, you're eventually going to respond with, how about none? We don't see that with God. Abraham starts with 50 righteous people. And he gets all the way down to 10 righteous people. And God says, okay. And maybe this is God just being God knowing all things and knowing that Abraham was going to stop at 10, knowing that there weren't going to be 10 righteous people found. And so his answer remains the same. God isn't the one who stops answering. Abraham is the one who stops asking. And this is one thing I've wondered. Why didn't Abraham go below 10? Like if he pushed it that far to 10 people, I mean, he might as well have kept going. I mean, maybe he was thinking about Noah and his family, and he knew that there were eight people who were saved, 
in total. Yet God still destroyed the whole earth. Maybe it's because he didn't want to find out just how many righteous people there actually were in the city in total. Like if he got down to just one and God said, if you find one righteous person, I won't destroy the city. And then the city is still destroyed. Which is ultimately the reality anyway. Because God's word tells us, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Today we're not here just to talk about Sodom. So when we talk about God's word, and we hear that it says no one is righteous, that means us too. We don't seek God. And as Paul says later in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And if this place were Sodom, and Abraham is saying, are there ten righteous people to be found there? No. Well, how about one righteous person here in our midst? No. None of us are righteous because we have all sinned. And what we deserve is the same fate as Sodom. We deserve to be destroyed. We deserve death. This is the consequence for our sin. But we don't just deserve earthly punishment. We also deserve eternal punishment. We deserve eternal destruction, eternal death. What all of us deserve for all of our many sins, for our unrighteousness, is hell. The first question I ask you today is, how far would you be willing to go for the sake of others? But the real question and answer that all of us need to hear is, how far is God willing to go for the sake of others? And to this, we go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying. He walks away from his disciples, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, who is connected to the Father, prays that this cup be removed from him. This is the cup of God's wrath. The cup that holds the punishment of the sins of the world for your sins and mine. This cup is God's judgment on the world. This is God's justice. This is what the world deserves for all of their sins. This is what you deserve for all of your sins. This is what I deserve for all of my sins. God's wrath. Yet this cup is not placed before you or me. It's placed before Jesus the only righteous person there is. For him to take this cup means that he will take God's wrath upon himself. That judgment, that punishment, that condemnation, hell. And he asks for it to be removed. But he prays not according to his will, but according to God's will. And to this prayer... We do not hear God respond like he does with Abraham. We hear silence. Not because God doesn't answer necessarily, but Jesus being man and also being God, 
knows the answer. But as man, he still does not desire to suffer the wrath of God. Our, how far is God willing to go for the sake of others? Especially to save them from death and hell? He was willing to go as far as he needed to. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. Why he allowed himself to be arrested, beaten, mocked, the crown of thorns placed upon his head, the nails to go through his hands and his feet, where he's placed upon the cross and where he dies on the cross, where he would become the sacrifice for you and for me, for all of our sins, for all of our selfishness, for everything that we do wrong against God time and time again. Jesus took our sin and dies for us, for all people, for people who would believe in him and for people who would reject him. Why? Because he loves us and because he wants all people to be saved. He wants all of us to have eternal life. And his resurrection from the dead proves that he has defeated sin, death, and the devil once and for all. That he has won eternal life, heaven, for all who believe. That he has done everything possible that he could do. He does what we couldn't. And as a result of his one righteous act, the whole world is saved. Whereas God was willing to spare the city of Sodom for ten righteous people and not even ten were found, God was willing to save the entire world for the sake of one righteous man. That man is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And it is because of him that we are saved from sin. And it is, it is because of him and his unconditional sacrificial love that we have eternal life. He is willing to do everything possible to save each and every single one of you. Because you are worth saving. And it doesn't matter how many people Jesus had to die for, big or small, he would do it because he loves you. He loves you like no one else can. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.